0: There had been abuse in my family, but it was
1: mostly musical in nature.
2: I don't want any of this lover's
3: lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something uptempo. I want something snappy. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times.
1: And I'm Greg Kotz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we open up the Rock Doctors Clinic just in time for a Valentine's Day emergency. We're going to provide two listeners with musical couples counseling. Plus, Greg and I will review the new album, The First in Nearly a Decade, from Sade. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
3: Greg, make no mistake, you and I have two of the best jobs in the world. That's absolutely true every night of the year, except when we are enduring the three-and-a-half hours of torture (laughs) that is the annual Grammy telecast. The 52nd Annual Grammy Awards were broadcast live from the Staples Center in Los Angeles last Sunday. And typical of the big performances on the show was uh, Beyonce doing that uh, version of Alanis Morissette's You Ought to
1: Know. Yeah, Jim, as you said, three-and-a-half hours. We only had nine awards handed out in that three-and-a-half hours. Most of the show was devoted to... Uh, these bombastic performances. Even though the Grammys purport to be about handing out awards in 109 categories to some of the 1,003 nominees, it's really about those TV ratings, and they skewed heavily towards the pop spectrum, towards the celebrity spectrum. You had these big performances by people like Lady Gaga jumping into a cauldron of fire and emerging with this charred makeup on and Pink, you know, doing a Cirque du Soleil acrobatic routine while singing yeah. to the point where, like, is she singing a song at the same time? But look at that. She's spinning around in midair and, <laughs> and raining water down on, on the audience. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it, it's kind of it left you flabbergasted about, well, what are they really selling here? And what they're selling is a TV show that succeeded very well by Grammy standards, 25.9 million people tuned in this year, a huge increase over last year. They barely got 20 million people to watch last year. So they got what they wanted. They got the ratings boost they wanted, but at the same time, I think they sacrificed some of the artistic integrity that they claim to be standing for all these 50 years. Well, their credibility has been eroding ever
3: since they started 52 years ago, Greg. In the, in any given year, you can take the winners of the big four Grammys, put them in a times capsule, look back later and say, really? Yeah. That was the best album uh, you know uh, not the beatles not bob dylan not the rolling stones you know we had that case this year album of the year went to this young teen ingenue taylor swift for fearless song of the year went to beyonce for single ladies put a ring on it record of the year goes to kings of leon a rare rock big prize for you somebody and the best new artist goes to the zach brown band these country bumpkins now you you look at For example, the the big winners in the Paz and Jop poll Mm. of uh, rock critics across the country, conducted annually by the Village Voice. Their album of the year was Animal Collective's Meriwether Post Pavilion. Phoenix came in number two. Nico Case, followed by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. You know, really credible artists that I, I think you could put in a time capsule and In 2020, look at it and say, wow, 2009, that was the mark of excellence were some
1: of those artists. Right, and Taylor Swift was not a factor in this year's poll, in part because her album came out in 2008. In general, uh, an an album that was not critically acclaimed but yet sold mega boatloads of copies. We need to take a good hard look at this Taylor Swift phenomenon, I think, Jim, because she is one of the best-selling artists of the last few years. Her debut album in 2006 made her a star at the age of 16. Uh, She took over the country charts at the time. She was kind of perceived as a country performer because she had a few country music signifiers on her records. You know, a little pedal steel guitar, a little bit of fiddle. Coming out of that tradition, not so much of hardcore country, obviously, Loretta Lynn or what have you, but more out of that uh, 90s superstar mold of Faith Hill and Shania Twain. Country crossing over with pop. You know, a suburban girl, grew up in Pennsylvania, and singing about what it's like to be a high school girl. It's interesting the image that she's put out there. When girls give up their American dolls, they they look for role models that sort of fulfill that perfect image of what womanhood should be. And I think that Taylor Swift has sort of filled that role. She sings about, you know, here I am trying to be this girl fitting in in high school, and a lot of her young listeners see themselves in these songs. Her last record, Fearless, sold 3.2 million copies, had a, a boatload of singles on it, That was the album that was nominated for Album of the Year. It looked like the way the evening was proceeding, that Beyoncé was going to run the table, that she was going to win Album of the Year. A veteran artist, she'd been around, it seemed like her year. But instead, Taylor Swift, at the age of 20, according to the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, has made the best album of the last year. So before we get into whether or not this really is the Album of the Year, as the Grammys have declared it, let's play a track from Fearless. It's called 15 by Taylor Swift on Sound Opinions.
2: Take a deep breath and you walk through the doors It's the morning of your very first day You say hi to your friends You ain't seen in a while Try and stay out of everybody's way It's your freshman year And you're gonna be here for the next four years
3: That is 15 by Taylor Swift on Sound Opinions from Album of the Year, according to the Grammys, Fearless. Greg, I got to say, I agree with Kanye West. He infamously bum-rushed Taylor Swift's (laughs) acceptance speech at the MTV Video Music Awards to say that Beyoncé was robbed. Of the nominees in the category for Album of the Year, yeah, Beyoncé was robbed, although I wouldn't have selected either of these records for Album of the Year. Mm. Taylor Swift really bothers me. I mean, you know, I have a teenage daughter who is enamored of her. I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of, of young womanhood. And as a feminist, it just offends me. If she looked like... Ida Maria, you know, yeah. or Bjork. Yeah. I don't think she would have this
1: popularity. She's popular because she's a model. Well, I, I disagree to an extent because 15, if you listen to that song, that is a song where every teenage girl, I think, can see some some of her reflected in it. It's about a girl who is, you know, entering high school, for the first time, and she's standing at that doorway into the next four years of her life, and she's nervous about it, and she's talking about her fears about and also expectations for that experience. So in that respect, she is addressing a very large and now loyal audience that sees some of themselves in her songs. But 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 in
3: an age of auto tune, she is remarkable for how flat her singing is. The girl
1: cannot sing at well, all, as she proved uh, on the Grammy Awards night. It was kind of embarrassing that duet with with Stevie Nicks, and you know people. Came Back from that saying Well she's pretty shaky And maybe it was just A bad night Well no Every time I've seen her On a nationally televised Award show try to sing It's been pretty flat It's been she pretty She was horrible
3: core. On Saturday Night Live
1: Nothing against her, per se. I mean, in time, she may develop into a uh, a credible artist. Right now, she is one of those tweener artists that's bridging the gap between your passions as a a young teenager, getting into music for the first time, and more serious and mature artists who are are fully developed. She's not there yet. And for the Grammys to say that this is the album of the year, this is representative of the year 2008-2009 as the highest artistic achievement of that year (laughs) is pretty darn ludicrous tell me about pandering to your young fan base talk to me about pandering to your audience ratings but don't don't tell me that that's the album of the year well you know the jonas brothers were were more creative than the beatles as well <laughs>
3: talk about big money in the music industry. We broke the news last week that Assistant Attorney General Christine Varney had held a press conference to announce that the Department of Justice was going to approve the merger of the biggest national concert promoter, Live Nation, with the monopolistic ticket broker, Ticketmaster. The fallout is uh, is shaking the entire music industry every corner of it. We reached out to Live Nation numerous times and, and were ignored. However, Seth Hurwitz is a concert promoter who uh, testified on Capitol Hill in front of the U.S. Senate last February when the hearings began about this merger. He owns the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. It's one of the most historic rock clubs in America today. Uh, he has a company, IMP Productions, that promotes concerts throughout Washington, Washington, Washington and Baltimore. He books the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland, and he's the force behind the Virgin Mobile Festival at Pimlico in Baltimore. We wanted to get the perspective from him of the independent concert promoter going up against this new behemoth, Live Nation Ticketmaster. Seth, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks. Well, so the Justice Department says, Indie promoters out there, don't worry, we're going to create this firewall whereby. If you, Seth, use Ticketmaster to sell tickets to one of your promoted concerts, the rest of Live Nation that competes with you to book that same artist will not have access to that information. Do you take any confidence from that?
4: That's a joke. L- let me explain how it works, okay? Sure, please I'm do. I'm a promoter, but supposing I have a ticketing division and I'm supposed to have this firewall, probably in the same building. A dramatization of it, it's like this. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hey, how's their Springsteen show doing?
1: <laughs> what
4: do they have going on sale this week? Ah, what have they held for next week? Okay. That's, that it, that's how it's defeated. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, you've got to be kidding me. Here's the whole point, okay, is that if it's enough of a concern for them to say that there needs to be a firewall then why did they allow this in the first
3: place? Well, the attitude I was getting from the Justice Department when I was talking to them is that they couldn't stop this.
4: And and this is uh, not true. Okay. I was told we couldn't stop this, that it's better to let it go through and regulate it. First of all, they're the only ones saying they couldn't have stopped it, and they threatened to stop it unless they had these restrictions put in. If they threatened to stop it, that means they were going to go through with their threat. What changed? Well, you know, I was told it's because we didn't think we could win. Uh, if you're saying that's the only issue here, and it's a matter of you know legally whether you'd win or not, then why did you just spend 11 months mm-hmm. wasting all of our time asking what we think of this?
1: We now have this super vertically integrated company that is basically has its uh, feet, hands, and entire body up to its neck in every aspect of the record industry, the music industry right now. Most tellingly the fact that they were not asked to divest themselves of their management company, Frontline Management, which is managing bands like uh, Van Halen, Fleetwood Mac, more than 200 major acts. Could you address the implications of that uh, and and the effect of that? The whole play
4: is about taking control of the industry, and you you can call their bluff on this very easily because all you have to do is turn to them and say, fine, you guys can merge, you say you have all these synergies planned and, and all these ways that this is going to help each other. You can merge if you don't promote the bands you manage. You can merge if you don't do entire tours. You know where everyone has to play for you at every turn. Call their bluff and watch how fast they say, "Oh no, well then forget it."
3: Right, or they could have. uh, They own 140 venues. They could have been required to divest those. They know what they're up
4: to. They know exactly what they're doing, and who can blame them if they can get away with
1: it? Right. Right.
4: Well, I mean listen, if I could run the world, great. You know, until someone <laughs> stops
1: me. Well, so they're running they're running the world, Seth. I mean, that's the implications of what you're they're saying. They are running here.
4: the world and the idea, uh, first of all, that you can trust them to run it in the interest of the public. Well, let's look at what these uh what just came out in the last week. The settlements that the two principals, Michael Orpino and Irving Azoff, got for making the deal happen. Now they're gonna they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in the last few years and, and Yet these executives are, you know, another one of these headlines where the executives are taking millions of dollars while their companies are tanking. So, a fellow named Robert Sillerman bought all the different promoters and made them one company
1: with SFX in the with, late nineties. Uh,
4: yes, and his claim was synergy, yeah. economies of scale, etc. And what did he do? He rolled it up. He sold it to Clear Channel. He made his hundred million, and we haven't heard from him since. But at the time, he was claiming to have the music business interests at heart.
3: Seth, your company, IMP, is one of only a handful of independent regional concert promoters left in the country. Uh, there are a few in New York, Chicago, New Orleans. But, but what about IMP? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be able to stay in business against Live Nation?
4: That's what this is about, is to finally close all the doors. And, you know, what about me? I, I mean, I've survived this far. I'm in a little different boat from those other guys you mentioned. Those other guys uh, used to promote arena acts all the time, which is not really what I do. You know, I continue to have a, an alternative ahead-of-the-curve philosophy, which means, um, you know, I spot bands before other people do, etc. I own the 930 Club in D.C., which is a pretty famous you know alternative um, breeding ground. Uh, you know, where I'm going to get whacked is when these bands get big forget it.
3: Do you have the House of Blueses and, and the smaller clubs coming after your business at the 930? Because we're seeing that in Chicago. Certainly you've seen it in Detroit. Yeah, I
4: mean, that's the next, you know, they're going to try to create this whole system where, you know, it's all or nothing. You play for us or you don't. And you know, although they've they've put in language about retaliation, these guys are very smart. And, and the way that they get around that is instead of, you know, punishment for not doing it, it's more incentive for doing it. But they're offering things that they can only offer because of the monopoly they've
1: created. The, the last thing for you, Seth, the upshot of this for the fan. In the decade that Live Nation and Ticketmaster have taken over the concert business, ticket prices have doubled. Coincidence or not, who do you blame that on? Is, you know, they will turn it around and will say, well, it's the artists demanding this, it's the artists who are driving up ticket well, prices. Well,
4: he- here's how it works. Traditionally, you know, a promoter used to present a, a band with a proposal or an offer, and they would have a suggested ticket price. The way competition used to work when there was competition is that, you know, as I was a promoter, I remember being presented with, you know, uh, I mean, I always played R.E.M., but, you know, I'd make my offer, and they'd say, you know, the other people have an offer, and with a lower ticket, you need to lower your ticket and match theirs, and I had to lower my ticket, and that was good for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Well, when there are no alternatives, and they're presenting a band with this huge money, and they're saying, oh, by the way, we have to charge, you know, 100 bucks a ticket. The bands, you know, they take the money, and they look at the ticket, and they know it's not right, and they think, well, that's the promoter's problem. Mm. The ones that still have control and can create competition, like Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, are able to say, you know what, Um, we we know we're going to sell out anyway, and and here's what we want to charge. And, you know, Bruce Springsteen, that's how he's able to come in and sell out every time, because... You know, the the public doesn't feel like they got jacked last time. Mm-hmm. So it's a very smart way of doing business. But not very many people are as smart as, as Bruce Springsteen and John Landau and they're they're more susceptible to you know, yeah, 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 we just want a Grammy and yeah, we can get a two hundred fifty a ticket, we're hot right now. You know, <laughs> and, and the promoters going, Yeah, see it's fine, it's fine, take it. Without competition, that will go unchecked. Yeah. You know, when, when Christine Varney, you know, she came out and made this statement that this stuff's not going to happen anymore. And then the turn around and, and uh, not fight this out of fear of losing, it, it's sad, it's disappointing, it's shocking, and it's, it's kind
1: of sickening. Seth, uh, thanks uh, for your eloquence and commentary on the uh, Live Nation Ticketmaster merger. We appreciate you being on Sound Opinions.
4: Any time you guys uh, need me to run my mouth, I'm pretty good at it.
3: Coming up on Sound Opinions, Greg and I put on our lab coats and become the rock doctors. We'll help a couple in need of musical therapy. And later on, we have a review of the eagerly anticipated new record by Chardet. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. It is time, Mr. Cott, for the two of us to put on our lab coats and become Dr. Cott and Dr. (laughs) Dr. DeRogatis. From time to time on Sound Opinions, we like to do a segment called The Rock Doctors. Listeners write to us and they say, I'm stuck. You know, I'm not feeling right. I have this kind of creeping malaise. <laughs> I don't know what I need to feel 100% again. So we like to play Rock Doctor and give them a prescription for some music to, uh, to get them excited about the process of listening to music again because that's what we live for. With this particular pair of patients,
1: there are a couple, and that seemed fitting because it's uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. Right, Dr. Cott? Yes, uh, Jim. Kelly and Andrew are a young couple from Chicago just starting out together, and uh, they have a major obstacle in their relationship. Everything seems to be going swimmingly except for their ability to agree on some music that they both can love. So we thought we've got to help this couple out. Let's welcome them to the show right now. Andrew, welcome to Sound Opinions.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And Kelly, you are there as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. This is the second couple I believe we've done, Dr. DeRogatis. This is a tandem patient group here, and we have a, a, a mutual problem here. I, I feel very daunted whenever we deal with couples, because I feel like a relationship is hanging in the balance based on what kind of prescription we're going to give. I actually feel like Dr. Ruth, but
3: that's, <laughs> that may be an unrelated problem. You,
1: yeah, you're looking like Dr. Ruth today. It's a very nice dress you have on, Thank by the way. Why don't you guys chart for us what brings you into our office?
0: Well, the problem is Kelly. Oh. No, actually the problem is... Uh, it's probably more me. I have an incredibly vast musical spectrum. Kelly's is a bit smaller, I'd say.
5: I have my music that I've been listening to since high school and flowing into college. And I just, once I got into grad school, I kind of stopped listening to the radio. So I stopped listening to new music.
3: Just uh, not to ask you your age, Kelly, but, but rough time frame?
5: I'm 25. But a lot of my musical influences are from classic rock. The
1: seventies. Seventies, <laughs> gotcha. okay. And 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 Andrew, you say that with some disdain, so I take it you're not you're not. Uh, well,
5: I mean,
0: the decade itself doesn't hinder me. Um,
5: it's the fact that I don't listen to Bob Dylan from the seventies. I listen to Queen or Journey from the seventies.
1: So you're you're a radio girl. I mean, you you listen to music that was on the radio that was popular at the time, and there were certain songs and bands that you liked from those eras.
0: Right. Yeah. She likes uh, bar music Stuff that you'll hear in the bar over and over and over again
1: mm-hmm.
0: Like Bon Jovi and, and Journey is a great example, I think
2: mm-hmm.
0: You know, they wow. always play that, that one Journey song And everybody starts singing and pumping <laughs> their fists in the air Like it's the first time they've ever heard that song before <laughs>
2: yes. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train going. Just a city boy Born and raised in South Detroit He took the midnight train going anywhere
3: Now, Andrew, I'm getting a, a fair amount of disdain here. Now, <laughs> this is know. what I have to deal with. Yeah. Is there a little bit of a music snob thing going here on on yes. your part? It's
0: uh, it's not snobbery so much as it is... I'm very passionate about my music, and um, I'm constantly searching for new bands, and I get very emphatic about the type of music that I like to see. I'm also a heavy concert-goer, so I want to be able to go to a concert with Kelly and for both of us to go and have a great time.
3: But, I mean, you know, in the vast spectrum of, of stuff that brings a couple together, how important is music, do you think?
0: Well, you know... I used to think it was very important. If my taste didn't align with somebody that I was on a date with, it was like the nail in the coffin. As I've gotten older, I've started to realize that there's other things that are much more important. But this is important, too, because when we're in the house and we turn the stereo on, I want to be able to listen to something that we both enjoy. You know, when we're in the car and we're spending the day together running errands or whatever, it's the same thing.
3: Yeah, but I'm hearing that, Kelly, it's just less important to you. It's not like you're, like, actively knee-jerk yelling at him when he plays something you don't like.
5: No, right? no, it's not that at all. It's just I just don't know. I'm purely just naive to the world of music around me. The last time, I mean, I went to Lollapalooza this year, and it was all these bands I'd never, ever heard of.
3: Yeah, and that's not actually good music.
5: At
0: Lollapalooza? Not all of it. <laughs> Not all of it, but right. I mean... We're going to start
1: another argument here. Another in proportion of the 130. Uh, See, Jim and I are like a couple that argue all the time, yeah. too, so we totally empathize with what you're going through right now, Andrew and Kelly. So, Kelly, let, let's back it up here a little bit, getting a little sense of where you're coming from. If you had to, say, pick uh, kinds of music or bands or songs that sort of define what you consider to be good music, can you give us a little sense of that?
5: I say Queen is my first and foremost and always will be. Um, Mika, the British pop singer from England mm-hmm. Uh, Don't look at me like that <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I just like music that's fun And that I have a good time to I don't get into moods and want to listen to sad, somber music on rainy days Like right. certain people that I'm dating <laughs> I like to listen to fun music that makes me want to like dance down the street
1: Yeah, that's great, okay But you love these certain kinds of 70s and 80s bands, and some of the ones that uh, I'm seeing here on your forum, Boston Journey, Bon Jovi... What is it about that, that?
5: Oh man, it makes me sound so sad <laughs> just saying it. Yeah. No, it's just it's the music. I listen to music. I don't necessarily listen to words. There's a there's a very few artists that I actually listen to words with.
1: And you are not ashamed to be singing a journey song at the top of your lungs in a crowded bar with uh, five hundred other people.
5: That would be my grad school experience. <laughs>
1: all right. All okay. Right. And Andrew. If you can sort of specify, uh, you know, same thing, four or five areas of music or artists or, or songs that sort of define what you consider to be good music.
0: Sure. Well, like I said, I, I'm constantly in the search for the next great thing, but I'll always hold on to certain bands like the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Wilco. It's a I love lyrical singer-songwriters that can also construct beautiful melodies.
1: All right, so what I'm hearing is that you want a little bit of intelligence and a little bit of depth into whatever it is you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and also great production.
3: What is it about Kelly's music that you, you don't like? I mean, I understand not liking Journey, but, uh, but Queen, I don't know. Cotton and I are oh, big no, I love, Queen. Oh, no,
0: I like Queen. Okay. It's one of the rare crossovers on our list. All okay.
1: Right. I think we've got it. So what, what we're going to try to do here, just to explain, is that we are each going to try to give you some music that you both can enjoy, sort of bringing together your tastes and finding some common ground. And this is coming from a man who married a woman with a huge Barbara Streisand fixation. So I'm just telling you, it can be done. We've overcome that. You can overcome sticks, Kelly and <laughs> Andrew. You can do it. And what I am going to suggest is a band that I I think references some of those 70s and 80s bar bands that Kelly so dearly loves and that Andrew so quickly dismisses, and yet brings some huge elements that Andrew loves, in particular the love of the Beatles, the love of some perhaps surprising depth in what's going on in the lyrics. I'm going to recommend the latest Cheap Trick record, and it is called The Latest. A band with a pedigree that goes back to the 70s and 80s. You probably heard the flame on about a million jukeboxes around the world. I would agree. That's kind of a lame song. I wouldn't want to hear that song again. A cheap Trick now says it's a lame song. Yeah, and and they, they certainly had their period where, where they were kind of playing the radio game. They're back to sort of being a self-contained unit now. A lot of All the songwriting is coming from within the band, Rick Nielsen in particular. But what I love about this band is that Robin Zander is kind of like a, all three Beatles vocalists rolled into one, McCartney, Lennon, and George Harrison. And Kelly, you're talking about upbeat, up-tempo, Wanting that energy, well, Bunny Carlos is just the greatest drummer in the world. I mean, if you can't rock out and pump your fist to a Bunny Carlos, then I feel sorry for you because I think there is no doubt that he will get you to that place that you want to get. And Andrew, I think this band has the combination of these ornate arrangements and melodies, and the violence in some of the guitar playing that speaks to a deeper band. And also, Rick Nielsen, I think, is a very clever and underrated lyricist. So. I want you to give this record a chance. I think it's something that you can both agree on.
3: You know why I like it? Because I think you you found something for Kelly, but you're also challenging Andrew. Because I can just hear him saying Cheap Trick? Yeah, come on, really? You should That's see right.
5: the look on his face right now. <laughs> yeah. I come
3: to you two hipsters, you know, on the cutting edge of medicine, and you give me Cheap Trick? Yeah. I'm
0: very surprised, actually, Greg. It, you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm totally open.
1: People are surprised all the time when I mention Cheap Trick, and yeah. I will go to the wall and say that their first four or five studio albums are among the finest albums I own, and people look at me, you got to be crazy, and I said, listen to those records. There is an amazing amount of depth beneath that surface there, And I think that's what I'm hoping, Andrew, that you, with your ears, your well-trained ears, will find when you listen to this record. Dr. Codd, that's a good one, and I second it. I I was stumped. I was trying to find
3: something where, where it was completely, maybe you'd both have to stretch the thing that really struck me Kelly was when you said you know dancing down the street and music to have a good time to so I'm thinking about bars and 80s and I'm thinking about like 80s pop and I'm thinking like Yaz and Depeche Mode and Eurythmics and you may just think I'm crazy here but I have been fixated for the last couple of weeks on this album a debut album from the UK by LaRue they are a two person band much like Yaz used to be with a young woman who is very very striking looks like uh, Tilda Swinton dressed up as David Bowie, La <laughs> Rue is French for the red-haired one. Except it's male, so there's a little bit of gender bending going on here on the part of the front woman, Eleanor Ellie Jackson. She's the singer. Her partner is Ben Langmaid, who plays all the instruments. Together, they make this wonderful dance pop. But it's really smart dance pop. Basically, neither of you had anything like this in your medical files, and that's why I want to give you a complete curveball and see uh, what you do with it. Great. So, LaRue and Cheap Trick, I don't think they expected anything like this. I know. Um, I could tell
1: by the shocked silence.
3: Yeah. So, will you go home and, uh, and take your medicine for a week and then check back with us? Absolutely. Yes, we will. We're looking forward to it. And, and no fighting, okay? No fighting about this. <laughs> you can have a spirited and enthusiastic discussion, but I don't, you know.
5: You'll find out next week if only one of us is talking to
3: you. <laughs> oh, okay. That'll be the good sign. All
0: right, well, we'll put it to the test.
2: we
1: All right, let's welcome Kelly and Andrew back to the show. Welcome back, guys. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. It is a week later and we trust that you've been taking
3: your prescriptions. So we want to check back and see if they work. Dr. Cott, you want to start with yours?
1: Well, I'm a little nervous, I have to say. You know, I was kind of wondering, <laughs> you know, I prescribed Cheap Tricks the Latest as a potential record that both of you might enjoy. <laughs> So, uh, Kelly, why don't you tell me what your reaction to it was first?
5: Well, what's so funny is that immediately after we got off the phone with you guys last week, we pulled up a couple of the other cheap tricks, stuff from the earlier days, yeah. kind of rocked out to that in a really cheesy way. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: but I understand why you did it, but, you know, I don't really listen much to lyrics, but I could not help notice how bad i thought the lyrics were for the latest album really i really thought that they were just like cliched like i'd heard them all before by bands who had done it much better and like the music was there if I were you know at a bar and they were a bar band I would be very happy hanging out listening to them but for me it really just gave me this idea of 40 year old women in the front row with their beer (laughs) acting like they're still 20 yeah like that's the vibe I got from it so like I you know their music was fun and it wasn't like the most horrible thing I've ever heard but I wasn't with
1: it. Well, I'm dreading now to think what Andrew's going to say about it, since Kelly didn't like it. I thought I had a chance with Kelly, but Andrew, okay, let me have it.
0: Okay. Well, I'd like to take the uh, rock doctor analogy a little further, if I may. Yeah. This prescription was a little like getting the flu vaccine. You get the shot for the flu, <laughs> and you wind up sick with the flu for like three days. So right?
3: you won't get the you flu, know? yeah.
0: And then eventually you get over it. Right. Uh, so it, you know, the first couple of spins on the on the record uh, was a bit painful, and I kept having to remind myself to just listen to it and put aside my preconceived notions about the band. Right. And what I what I found out was that it's not an awful album. It's actually quite energetic. Um, like you guys said, the drumming is fantastic. And I give props to these guys for putting out a heavy power rock album at their age, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really do, and I and I do respect their place in musical history. Right. Uh, you I just also don't want, want to listen to them. Yeah. Be a bit cheesy and, and overblown. Yeah. But you know, I found some elements of uh, uh, George Harrison and uh, that song "Closer," the ballad of Bert and Linda. singing about Relax Your Mind and Heaven's Gonna Rain or Shine. There's definitely some some echoes there of some of Harrison's solo efforts, I find.
5: And we totally get why you prescribed it to us when we listened to it. We understood it completely. Right. Um, If anything, I'd say that you brought us together in a band that we weren't thrilled with.
1: You know, I'm thinking about it, and I go, that's kind of a triumph in its own way, in a perverse way. Unintentional, but uh, nonetheless. I think, Dr. Cott, you had a patient walk
3: in to your, your office with a steak knife in their eye, and you told them, you really got to lose some
1: weight. It's just like, you know, what? Hey, you know, I've been betting a thousand so far. I'm going to get one wrong once in a while. It's,
3: it's true. I've gone down in flames and been sued for malpractice uh, more often. So let's shift over to LaRue. I suggested this uh, wonderful English, uh, I think they're wonderful, dance pop duo. Kelly, why don't you start?
5: I loved it. I had a really good time, like just kind of dancing around to it in my house by myself, and Mm -hmm. I just enjoyed it. I had a really good time listening to it.
3: I like that. All right. Andrew?
5: Well,
0: this is a great album. There's just no doubt about that. And it actually speaks to uh, a whole different side of my musical personality that we didn't talk about last week, and that's. uh, you know, I have a love for, for great electronic music.
2: Emerging from my world, imagine living in a box. And I won't come up until I've broken all the locks.
0: And I think that this group is following in the footsteps of the great Bjork, but also, you know, keeping up with contemporaries like uh, Saint Vincent and Florence and the Machine. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a really exciting album. I think that this is a, a duo that is making a statement. You know, that they're artists and they have something to share with us.
3: And I figured that if Kelly really liked it, then that's like, okay, yeah, I, I like it too. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, it was it was funny. We put that first track on and both of us we sort of lit up you know we looked at each other and we were like okay okay and and the album just keeps going from there we both really enjoyed it a lot
1: i got to say, Dr. DeRogatis, this experimental treatment, I was dubious about it, but clearly it worked. Excellent. So, Kelly and Andrew, I'm sad to say that I won't be seeing you at the next Cheap Trick show, (laughs) but we're very, very happy that Dr. D here found something that you both can agree on and feel confident that the relationship can now flourish the way it was always meant to be. Absolutely.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, We can't wait to uh, catch LaRue in concert next time they come back in town.
1: And happy Valentine's Day, Kelly and Andrew.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much You too You guys uh, You know You guys share the love With each other
1: We <laughs> always do Bye Bye Bye
2: Bye I love the girl once Beyond compare She saw inside me And gave me was open she put a mask on me. I'm breathing, but it's become a chore. Now that you the doctor to call me anymore.
3: To nominate someone for a visit to the rock doctors, fill out a new patient form at soundopinions.org. To make a comment on the air, leave a message on our hotline 888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a review of the first record from Chardet in almost a decade.
2: I swallowed whole, my heart starts beating, it can't regrow. A different to ignore. Now that you see the doctor, don't call me. I underwent And it smelled Of a wild goose chase Then I saw your face Upside down He comes in creeping He is a creep A samurai it's no fair beginning That is a lie Mermaid on pico lifts her
3: sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is Charday with the title track of her new album, Soldier of Love. Greg, I think a lot of people think Charday, and it is pronounced Charday, although it's spelled S-A-D-E, and they think the Reagan-Thatcher years, you know? <laughs> it's like, wow, time warp. And she was the queen of Quiet Storm R&B from the mid-'80s through the early-'90s. Born in Nigeria? Raised in Britain Helen Folosade Adieu Has been missing From the pop world For nearly a decade Her fifth album Lovers Rock Came out in November 2000 People have been like Where is Sade And I should note Like PJ Harvey Sade is the name Of the band As well as the name Of the singer mm-hmm. She's been doing A lot of living During that downtime. She was married In Spain That ended She was in a relationship In Jamaica That fell apart She had a child And now she is living In the English countryside With the uh, a true love, apparently a former royal marine, raising her daughter and returning to music— with the key players who made all of those hits with her in the 80s and 90s. She really defined that era with songs like Smooth Operator and Hang On To Your Love and The Sweetest mm-hmm. Taboo. It was a very mellow, sultry, seductive sound. This was make-out music made with real instruments, minimally arranged, and that uh, sultry voice of hers. A lot of people you know, always said, well, this is a conservative artist. You know, it kind of epitomizes mm. those then-new CD players that people were drinking cappuccino or sipping Chardonnay and listening to <laughs> Charday, but there's a lot of soul in this woman you know it was yeah. always her approach to romance was a very personal one and if you really took the time to listen this was a distinctive artist. Now Sony Epic her, her record label is very excited about this record a mega push unlike anything we've seen since Susan Boyle. They think there's this new market out there of older listeners who want mature music. We're going to give our thoughts about Charday, but let's play a track from Soldier of Love. This is called Moon and Sky on Sound Opinions.
1: That is The Moon and the Sky on Sound Opinions from Charday. only the sixth studio album she has released since 1984. Uh, she takes her time about everything, you know, when, whether it's releasing albums or, or singing a song. Nothing seems to hurry this woman, and, and it is a sound all its own. You listen to this record from a distance, Jim, and you think, you know, it's the girl from Ipanema walking down the beach, and it's mm-hmm. kind of mellow, and it's pretty... But you probe a little deeper, you get a little closer to the music, and you realize that there's a lot of melancholy and a lot of turmoil bubbling through this music. She's a woman who's lived a very full life. It's not just all about music for Chardet, and she brings what she has lived into her music. These regrets, the heartbreak, the loneliness, occasionally the despair that creeps into this music and gives it some resonance.
6: You are the blood of me The harvest of my dreams There's nowhere I can find peace And the silence won't cease
1: Her band has been the exact same. As you said, these three guys that she's been working with since the 80s, they have their own sound. You know, you're going to get that swoony saxophone and you're going to get those very sparse keyboards and then you're going to get that kind of subterranean, misty bass lines that yep. are running through it. You know, it's not wholly aggressive. That's why the title track, Soldier of Love, is kind of a departure for her. That's kind of the biggest beat she's ever put on any song mm-hmm. ever. But, you know, the, the rest of the album is going to sound very familiar to people who have been fans of this artist since the mid-'80s. You know, it's not about changing up or reinvention for her. It's about, this is me. This is my sound. This is what I do best. I can't say that there are any big, dark secrets revealed here. We know exactly what this record is going to sound like in a way. Okay. But the fact that she took 10 years off and that this record is being put out now, it's kind of a welcome return. I don't see it as a blockbuster in any sense. I'm going to give it a buy-it though because it is so well done and the way she sort of works into these genres like reggae and even country music without making it sound like she's compromising anything. Sade is who she is and she's straddled these different eras of soul music very well. I think she's one of the, you know, the timeless artists of our time.
3: Well, I will second your buy-it, Greg. I think that if she was making this record every 18 months yeah. we'd have been sick of it by now but she has been gone long enough and has changed just enough her voice at age 51 is a little deeper and more resonant and uh, you know there are some some dark moments here yeah. you know this, this is th- th- there's a theme that runs through the entire record as might be indicated by the title you know Love is a Battlefield yeah. Soldier of Love Okay, and, and she's fought the wars over the last 10 years and emerged to tell about it much like Mary J. Blige mm-hmm. you know not nearly as fiery an artist but this is a, a fine record I double your body
1: what do we have on the show next week? Jim, we might as well bring Charday back, because she'd fit in perfectly with next week's show. We're going to give you some musical choices to set the mood for Valentine's Day.
3: Greg, as always we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by our team of Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Monopolistic themselves, but lovable. And our executive <laughs> producer and fearless leader is Tori Southside Malatia, a man who was so excited about the return of Charday He took the whole week off to be with this new album. sound opinions everyone's a critic now it's time to hear what you have to say new messages
0: i'm drew from memphis tennessee uh i just wanted to thank you for mentioning the passing of jay retard in your new segment i discovered jay a couple of years ago during his matador singles period
4: and of course i heard about him around town but, um his album Blood Visions and his Matador Singles record are terrific, but his latest album, Watch Me Fall, is amazing. Yeah,
0: cases his proficiency and skill as a musician and a songwriter. We've had a number of terrific bands record albums here in Memphis, Sonic Youth, Pavement, Wilco, I think they've all recorded here at some point, but Jay was really single-handedly putting Memphis on the map in terms of the indie scene with his work with Matador Records, and the work he was doing was really exciting, so I know he'll be dearly missed by his Memphis fans and all fans of good rock and roll everywhere.
4: Thanks. Thanks. Hi, this is Charles calling from Illinois. I just wanted to thank you guys for uh, having Charles Thompson from the Pixies on. The thing I found most interesting about the interview was he had mentioned that the Pixies were trying to sound like a band that they had listened to and you brought up the example of Nirvana trying to sound like the Pixies. I would heard a quote from John Lennon one time that the Beatles when they started out were trying to sound like Elvis.
2: Right down
6: and cry over you. I'm gonna sit right down and cry over you. And if you ever say goodbye, and if you ever even try, I'm gonna sit right down and
4: cry over you. It's like the bands that are copying a sound and get it right end up being mediocre, right? But the bands that try to copy the sound, but they're so unique, they can't help it. They come out really different than the ones that often turn out brilliant. I just think it's
5: cool. Thanks.
4: from Westchester love the show listen to the podcast every week just listen to this week's and heard Greg's Desert Island Disc never thought I'd hear a thousand homeless DJs on the radio unless I was playing it through my stereo and I just wanted to suggest maybe uh, do an album dissection of Ministry or uh, Revco or, uh, or any of Jordan's stuff or even get the man himself in, in the studio uh, definitely
1: underappreciated label and theme so uh, definitely tons of influence but hasn't always gotten it to do thanks love the show